Hello, everyone. Welcome back after such a long time to the main event. You're here with me, Daniel. And Aaron. Oh, Aaron, I've missed that voice. I mean, I hear it every day at work, but I've still missed it in this context. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing really good. How are you? Yes, but on. I'm happy to get back to Champions League football after so much Premier League football. I think it's going to give a nice break, although for all the hardened FPL players, I've got a feeling they won't be too happy <laughs> with an extra <laughs> couple of fixtures in to ruin their Man City triple-ups. But we are here with a lot of information. We are going to do this over two podcasts, and I just want to sort of give everyone a little run-through of, of what the agenda is. So first of all, we are going to go through the the tactics that we might be employing, the strategies in terms of just what teams should we pick from? Do we have any chips left? That sort of thing. We are then going to go through the first four fixtures on this podcast and what that will entail will be. Are there any major injuries? What is the current form? What have been the starting lineups, the outstanding players? Who should you pick, essentially? And who should you not pick? And then on the following podcast, we are going to finish off with the remaining four fixtures and then delve into our draft teams. Obviously, may change. And just for transparency, we are recording this at 9.50 on Saturday, the 13th of February. So there are games to be played tonight, tomorrow. Obviously, for the following four fixtures, there'll be a couple of games played because that's in a week and a half time. So there may be more injuries. You'll need to keep up to date with that. Obviously, if you follow us on Twitter at UCL Fantasy Pod, we will try and keep up to date now as the game week will be closing with injury news as we receive it. Thanks to everyone that tags us in injury news. Also, I would recommend downloading the One Football app. We aren't sponsored by them at all. It's just I use that and I follow all the Champions League teams and I find it really useful. So there's a free bit of advice for you. But moving on to today's show, Aaron, first of all, what chips do you have left? So I just have my wildcard chip left. Uh, I use my Limitless in the group stage. I'm in exactly the same position. I use my Limitless, but I kept my wildcard. And it's largely because if we look at how many injuries there are, there's no telling when I might need that. Every season you might need it at this stage. I think in the group previews, I went through a list of the teams that went out at this stage last year, and there were some really big teams. I mean, if we look at just even the first game, one of Barcelona or PSG are going to go out in this round. So a wild card between round of 16 and quarterfinals can be very, very handy without COVID. And without all these muscle injuries that we are seeing, we are seeing a phenomenal amount of muscle injuries due to the players a, playing so much, and I think B, in such cold conditions. So I think that's going to be really useful. In terms of, you know, blindly sort of having a strategy, what are you employing here, Aaron? What are you going to go with? I'm kind of looking at this as like a, a dead-end round. So obviously in fantasy terms, that means that there's an end in sight. I'm able to take more punts because I've got a wild card. I'm able to swap it all, change it all round. So I'm looking at the round of 16 as a dead end, meaning that I'm only focusing on these fixtures. And then because in the quarterfinals, they do the draw for the remainder of the tournament. And so that way I'm able to plan 
people's route to the final. Because as of right now, yeah. we don't know who people are going to get in the next round. And so I'm not really planning like a route to the final right now. Although I am going to obviously focus on the teams that I think I'm going to win. But basically just looking at who's got the best fixtures, who's in the best form now, and then looking to potentially use my wild card in the run-up to the quarterfinals, potentially after the quarterfinal leg one. So I've got a better bearing on who's done well in the first leg, if that makes sense. So yeah. that's kind of my strategy. In in terms of, you know, the fixtures that you're going to choose from for the dead end, there are two sort of polar opposite ideas. So are you going for one of these? Or are you going to fall somewhere in the middle here? whereby you pick from the first four fixtures being played because we have more information. They would have played less games. We know the situation with injuries. Or are you going for just who has the best fixtures and I don't care when they play? Yeah, I'm going for more of the second. So I'm focusing more on the fixture. And I know that the that other tactic worked really well in the past. I am still going back and forth, but I think... Teams like Bayern Munich, Man City, Atletico Madrid are just too good not to get in. So uh, I am going to go more so for the uh, fixture over date tactic. Just to go through both of your points there, I'm not planning on using the wild card. I've got no plan for it. This is an emergency wild card. So I want to try and play the game, you know, try and play that perfect game from start to finish. And then when it inevitably goes wrong, because I'm completely useless sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's going to be there to save my bad decisions, opposed to me have a plan to use it. I just think, particularly this season, some of the results that we see are absolutely ridiculous. And I don't really trust many teams. And some of the teams that I do trust have got so many injuries that they become untrustworthy. So I'm not planning on using that wild card until... You know, as and when I need to, I'll know when I need to. So with that being said, it's important for me to try and identify who's going to win each game and then go for players from those teams. So I do have a good chance of not using my wild card. I do think probably optimum time to use it would be between the round of 16 and quarterfinals. Like you say, to plan for that route to the final. But if I can, you know, get lucky, then I may not need it because we are afforded transfers between the games and we are afforded transfer of like quite a few transfers between the rounds. Now that we are into the knockout stages, we get more than just two transfers or three transfers. So we can use those if we, you know, plan appropriately in terms of who goes through and then maybe get lucky with the draw and save that wild card. With regards to the fixtures, I'm really struggling because my head is screaming at me. Just pick from these first four. And, you know, we are, we're allowed four substitutes, one goalkeeper, three outfield players. If you want anyone from the second lot of fixtures, have three outfield players and one goalkeeper so that if anything does go wrong, you've still got a full 11. I think that's a really smart thing to do. The biggest issue with that is, for me, the best fixtures to choose from on that second lot. If the roles were reversed, the second lot of fixtures were all played this week. I'd be clapping my hands. I'd be so, so happy. But I think it's good for the game that they are the second lot because there's going to be some people torn. There are going to be so many people picking from that second group of fixtures. 
and so many people employing that first strategy of, I want to know that I'm at least playing 11 players. 11 players playing is better than a team full of superstars that are all injured. So I think I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. I'm going to try and go for nine or 10 players outfield or nine or 10 players to start, including the goalkeeper from the first slot, and then maybe take a little punt on one or two players from the second round of fixtures, whilst also having obviously my bench full of second lot of fixtures. Essentially, that's what I'm thinking at the minute. But the good news is, is obviously we're going to go through all the form, the players playing, our suggestions, who we think might be traps. What would you do? Like, what would be your strategy if you didn't have a wild card? Because obviously we'll have some people who who don't. Uh, pray each night <laughs> would be my personal strategy. Nah, I, I don't think it's, it's not the most important thing. I'm sure last year, I had both my limitless and my wild card at this stage. And by the end of it, I still had my limitless. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely possible to plan. You get so many transfers later on. You get like five and six a week. And obviously you get a couple between match days. I think it was a little different last year because there were one-off fixtures from a certain point. Mm-hmm. But I think if you don't have a wild card, you just need to be careful with what teams you're picking. I'd go for which teams you think are most likely to go through. Sacrifice necessarily who are going to be the biggest point scorers in this round because mathematically, obviously, you are far more likely to get more points over two games than one. You don't want to be taking hits in this game. This isn't FPL. This is, what well, I think it's 13, 14 rounds or whatever, and it's just don't, you can't afford to be taking hits. Mm-hmm. at any stage because there's no guarantee that they'll even play the next game. They might get knocked out. There might be a shock result. So I'd probably follow the other tactics and just go with, right, this team is going through, in my opinion. I'm going to get three from there. You're allowed four players from each team for this round. However, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that just if one g- game gets called off with COVID and you've got eight players from that game or even four players from that game, you are absolutely stuffed. Mm-hmm. So I'd be trying to limit myself to a maximum of three players per game, really. And the only time I'm really going to go for three players would probably be from the same team. And it's because I feel they've got such a good chance of going through. Yeah. And I'm willing to take the risk. Yeah, I feel like as well that because we're allowed, I think it's five transfers between round of 16 and quarterfinals. Like if you have four players for one team and then that team gets knocked out, the likelihood is that not all of the other teams that you've got in your fantasy lineup are going to make it through to the next round as well. And so that you're going to have to use the majority of them five transfers on a team that like it, it just, you end up blocking the like the usefulness of your transfers depending on the team that you've chosen. So, for example, in the yeah. group stage where you're trying to look for them cheap enablers, we're starting to get that part of the tournament where the cheap players are no longer playing or and it's just the premiums who are starting to take over, which is why you get given an extra five million this part of the tournament. And so yeah, if you absolutely fill your defense with cheap players the likelihood is they don't play for a good enough team and they're going to get knocked out. So you've just got to be so careful with that kind of strategy, especially if you don't have a wild card. If you have a wild card, 
you can afford a risk or two, but it's a fine balance at this part of the tournament. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, let's get on to that first fixture, Aaron. We've got Barcelona, who play tonight at 8pm against Alaves. So everyone keep your ears to the ground on that one. See if there's any more injuries for Barcelona, who are having a torrid time of it in terms of injuries. Their results have been fortuitous, to say the least. So just looking at their previous games, they got beat 3-2 off Bilbao. That went to extra time. They then won 2-0 against Cornella, but that had to go to extra time. They beat Elche 2-0, Raya Vallecano 2-1. Bilbao, they then won 2-1. They won 5-3 against Granada in extra time. And then Betis, they beat 3-2. So they are far from convincing at the moment. They have some torrid injuries. Araujo looked like he was going to be fantastic for this game. He's played every game. Unfortunately, he's just picked up an injury and will be out for a month. He's hurt his ankle. Sergi Roberto, possibility of playing right back. He's in muscular doubt again. Coutinho's out for two months with a knee injury. And Ansu Fati needs a third operation on his knee. So he's out for the season. Pique also out with that knee injury he suffered in the Champions League. And he's out until April. So we've got some big defensive problems. Serginho Dest hasn't been, pay- uh, been playing much. Mingueza seems to have filled in at right back. He's came from Barcelona B team. Now, the issue here is he doesn't need to sign up for the Champions League squad because he is a young Spanish player from their youth system, the Messiah. But he's not in the game because they haven't registered him. They don't need to. So we are potentially robbed of a right back here for Barcelona. And just before we get into maybe who you should get, I've noticed that Braithwaite, who was a little bit of a dark horse in the group stages, and that is now exclusively playing on the wing. So... It's a bit of a mixed bag here for Barcelona. Have you had a chance to look much into them, Aaron? Yeah, so I ended up watching the highlights for the Sevilla-Barcelona match because obviously that's two Champions League teams. And yeah, Sevilla just absolutely destroyed them. Um, I was listening to some of the like La Liga pundits and they were saying that 2-0 like, was a very generous scoreline to Barcelona. Like they should have wow. been beaten by a lot more. And I think we'll get on to Sevilla later, but Barcelona, it's hard with like Spanish teams because they literally play a cup game like, every week. Like they kind of squash yeah. all of their cup games into the one month. So it's like League Cup, League Cup, League Cup. And it's, it can be quite hard to follow a lot of rotation. And at least it's not spread out like the... English cups, but it can be quite taxing on the players and a lot of rotation uh, for some of the teams. And Barcelona, yeah, like kind of what you said, they're they're not finishing teams off. They're not a ruthless team anymore. And I think we saw that from the the group stage when they were against Juventus. But in terms of this game against Paris Saint-Germain, I think it's too hard to call. Obviously, we'll get onto Paris Saint Germain later, but it, it yeah, they're not. This team is not filling me with confidence, and I'm I don't know if I'm going to even have any of them in my 
fantasy lineup. This is a really, really tough game. And it's such a shame because four or five years ago, it would be the juiciest fixture of them all. And now it's one that I probably care about the least. Two depleted squads, neither in amazing form. I mean, Paris Saint-Germain has got a new manager, obviously. So it shows how well, A, they were doing before you came in, and B, the fact that they're obviously going to go through a transitional period as Pochettino tries to get across his ideas. Barcelona can't seem to function at the minute defensively. They can't seem to nail down a back four. Jordi Alba is likely to play at left back and he hasn't been doing too badly personally. He is picking up yellow cards and he got sent off uh, in the 2-1 win a few games ago. But other than that, he does have two goals and two assists and five. And when we get on to PSG, obviously, I don't think they're going to be too great going forward. So Alba might be a bit of a dark horse shout, but at the same time, if he's getting so many bookings and he's playing against anyone that wants to run at him for on PSG's right-hand side, then he's going to be in big, big trouble. He's also getting on a bit. So if they decide for the crack to put Mbappe on that right-hand side, I think he's going to have a torrid, torrid time. Mm-hmm. Mingueza, who, like I said, isn't in the game. He's been playing right-back, played centre-back against Sevilla with Umtiti. Longley was on the bench. Longley and Umtiti have been swapping pretty much each and every game to partner Araujo, who isn't there. And Araujo had been such a good shout because he is so cheap. Obviously, he's in the four millions at the minute. So that's really, really disappointing. In fact, sorry, he's not in the four millions. He's Mm 3.8. I think, obviously, for a lot of people when it comes to Barcelona, they're going to be interested in the attacking options. Looking at them, Griezmann has done really well recently. He's got five goals and four assists in six games, priced at 9.9 million. Messi has three goals and two assists and five at 12.1. So between the two of them, Griezmann's in much better form than Messi. Before everyone complains, no, I'm not saying Griezmann's better than Messi. And Dembele has one goal and one assist and four at 8 million. All three of these are forwards in the game. If I was to go for one of them for price and form, I would go for Griezmann, but I'm not going to. I just don't trust Barcelona. The midfield... Changes quite a lot. Pedri's been playing inside as a part of a midfield three quite a lot, along with uh, Frankie de Jong, who actually is doing really well. He's been allowed to play a slightly more attacking role within that midfield three. And he has three goals and an assist in his last five games, four games in his last four games. So this podcast's always been a little bit sceptical of de Jong's returns ability for this game. Never disputed that he's a fantastic player, but is he an asset? And I think for once he is now becoming an asset in this game. Yeah, definitely. He's had a price drop as well. So he's 6.4 now instead of 6.5 like he was in the group stage. Yeah. Like he is a good option for mid-point midfielders. Uh, It's just a shame that Dembele is classed as a forward. Uh, Like for the majority of other teams, wingers are classed as midfielders. For some reason, Dembele is classed as a forward. So that's quite frustrating because I probably would have took a punt on him in the group stage. And obviously he did really, really well in the group stage if he was a midfielder. But 
I agree with what you said about Griezmann. He's probably the best one to get because he's kind of had a resurgence, hasn't he? Um, probably since their Champions League, like once they had qualified for the next round and they kind of took it easy. From then, Griezmann's just seemed to hit the ground running and it is showing us of the potential because I thought you would, I thought he had kind of fell under the pressure of playing for Barcelona and obviously there was the narrative of you can't play with Messi and so I think that Griezmann is showing that special spark that he had and I think I've been critical of him on the podcast saying that I think he's finished and, and so yeah I'm really happy with his form and he's he's okay price point to be able to afford him and other premium players in the team as well so yeah he's definitely someone who I am considering if I did choose someone from Barcelona yeah I think for me if you're looking at Barcelona if you want to go Messi because he's the penalty taker and he's Lionel Messi then go for it but the three players for me if you are desperate is Antoine Griezmann Jordi Alba and Frankie de Jong Mm-hmm. I really like that Jordi Alba shout because Di Maria is injured. I know we're about to go on to Paris Saint-Germain, but that's Neymar and Di Maria. So that's like their wingers. Obviously, it means that the likes of Icardi are probably going to play. But Mbappe, depending on what wing he's on, one of their right back or the left back is probably going to get a lot of points because they'll be playing probably against Draxler or someone like that. So the likelihood is that Mbappe would probably play on the on the left so that he can cut in on his right. So Jordi Alba yeah. is up against a weakened attack on that right side. So he, he looks a good shout. The one caveat just before we move on to PSG is that a lot of these sort of stats that we went through are a little skewed because obviously when we say, oh, They've scored X amount per game. A game is usually 90 minutes plus, you know, stoppage time. Three of these games have went to extra time. So effectively, they've played a full extra match to get some of these stats. Lots of Griezmann's goals have came in extra time. So that is something to sort of look out for that maybe, you know, especially them used to going to extra time, that they might be better in the second leg than the first. That being said, they could also be absolutely knackered. And we have seen a lot of injuries. So they've played more football than everyone else, which will skew the stats and will also likely make them more tired. Sat third in the league, which is disappointing for Barcelona standards. But we'll move on to PSG so that we can sort of match up. Obviously, we heard the news the other day. Neymar has done his hip in on his sister's birthday once again. So he's out for four weeks. It's going to be a long birthday party. Bernat has been out all season with that ACL. He's due back in March. Di Maria will miss the first leg with a thigh injury. We are unsure about the second leg. But if someone isn't playing in the first, it's a waste of time going for them. Herrera's just a doubt with a knock. And Keylor Navas is causing some concern because he has been struggling recently with an abductor injury. So he's missed the last three games, I believe, and last four games, sorry. And we're not sure if he's going to be back. We knew that he'd missed the last game because he was getting rested for the Barcelona game at the very worst. But we we just don't know if he's going to play or not. So Sergio Rico 
is 4.1 million. If you're someone that is looking, because I do appreciate there are people out there looking for just one main goalkeeper and go for a fodder goalkeeper so that they can boost all the outfield players. If you're someone looking to do that, then feel free to take a punt on Rico because he might actually play. I'm not going to say that he will because Navas may be back, but a 4.1 million, I just think that's a really good shout. Form-wise, been on a pretty decent run. They beat Marseille 2-1, who then recently sacked their manager. Angers 1-0, Montpellier 4-0. They did get beat 3-2 uh, off Lorient. Beat Nîmes 3-0. And they beat Marseille again 2-0. Their most recent result in the French Cup, the one 1-0 against Ken. But the the big thing here is just how many influential injuries they've got. Obviously, if Navas is missing, he's such a great player. Herrera is a really, really underrated player in the middle. And then Di Maria Neymar on either side is a bit of a nightmare for them. Yeah, I I think that it's interesting that Icardi is back playing and scoring because Moise Kian was obviously before the manager change. Icardi had kind of been frozen out of the team and it was Kian playing up front with Mbappe kind of in a 3-5-2 formation. But now that they've got Pochettino, different style, uh, I, I mean, I can't, I don't want to hold my hand up and say I watched a lot of Spurs, but I, I, we saw enough of them to know kind of what system Pochettino likes to play. And so in terms of this upcoming game against Barcelona, I think that Mbappe has been playing on the left and they'll want him against a, like a, a less experienced right back rather than going up against Alba, who could probably depending on how much of a head start, that's a pretty tight race. Well, at least it would have been if Alba was in his prime. And then you get Icardi and Kian. There's a lot of uncertainty, but you do have like kind of what you were mentioning there. You get the odd cheap player who could play for Paris Saint-Germain. The only problem is that they have one of the biggest midfielder options in all of uh, Fantasy Champions League. There's so many you can choose from. All of them priced between 6.5 and 5.5. You just don't know who they're going to choose. I mean, even to the point where Makinios sometimes, not as much, but sometimes he'll play in midfield and that's a defender getting added to the midfield options. So it's almost like throwing a blind dart at times, picking a Paris Saint-Germain team because they do have a, a really big squad. But I think that Mbappe, I think he's just too pricey. And I mean, if you are looking for an absolute punt, Moise Kian keeps coming off the bench. But other than that, there's it's again with Barcelona. You you just because Paris Saint Germain have thrown away a couple of them games where they normally they walk through some of these teams. You, you kind of just don't know who to to pick, and there's kind of better options that will cover through the podcast. Obviously, we've been incredibly critical of Thomas Tuchel on this podcast in the past. And if you look at the results recently for, for Paris Saint-Germain, obviously there's just that one defeat. Pochettino's getting a tune out of them. It might not be the most refined tune, but it's still positive results compared to what they've been getting. What I will say is he's he's moved the formation around a little bit. He's been playing 4-4-2s. He's been playing 4-2-3-1s. He's been playing 4-3-3s. 
So I'm not entirely sure what he's going to go with for the next game. In terms of nailed on players, I think Florenzi at right back is absolutely nailed, but one assist in his last seven games or something like that isn't fantastic. Paredes in midfield has played every game in the last seven, every single game. He's had one assist in those seven. The issue is for the Champions League game, he's only averaging 2.6 points per game and he's 5.4 million. So if you're looking for someone that'll play, Paredes will play, but is he going to do anything? I personally don't think he will. And I think he's in serious risk of getting a yellow card. He's a very emotional player. Kurzauer at left back has been absolutely brilliant. He's got two goals in his last five games. And he's priced at 4.8 million and had a rest against Ken in the cup. A lot of their players did. Mbappe got a rest, Icardi got a rest. I think if you're looking defensively, there are two players really to look at, and that is Diallo, who had played every game, caught COVID, so he then had to miss out and has then came back in against Ken. He's 4.4 million. For someone that is likely to play next to Marquinhos, not Kimpembe. If you want Marquinhos, he's 5.8. He's a phenomenal player, but I don't think he's quite as good as last year because of his position. Last year, he was playing holding midfield, so he was just gobbling up ball recoveries. I don't see it being like that. And then, obviously, playing higher up the field, he was a goal threat. I remember he made me eat my words a few times after scoring consecutive games and looking like their most dangerous player. Forwards... I think Akadi and Mbappe are probably the two to look at. Mbappe with four goals and one assist in his last six games, 10.9 million. And Akadi with three goals, two assists, and has also won a pen. And that's just in four games at 9.5. So Akadi's really in form. If you are looking for, in my opinion, the potential Maratta of the knockout rounds, because we'll discuss Maratta later and how he might not be as potent as he was in the group stages. And I think Icardi could be the one, but I, I do think they have more options than Barcelona in terms of potentials. Just we've got three defenders there at three slightly different price points because Diallo is so cheap that he can really facilitate elsewhere. But so is Kurtzawa, 4.8, anything less than 5 million for a player that is going to play for a, a really good team in the knockout stages is in my opinion, considered a bargain at this level. And then obviously Mbappe and Icardi are always capable of scoring. Mbappe is likely to be the penalty taker with Neymar and Di Maria out. Mm -hmm. So that's who I'd be looking at. Is there anyone else on your radar for this team? I think you've mentioned them all. Something that I'm quite interested in is the, I think, I don't know, someone might be able to correct me, but I think this is the first time that Icardi has played against Barcelona. Uh, obviously he's got a lot of history he was part of their academy. He's got the personal beef with Messi. I think with a weakened Barcelona defence, this is the reason Icardi has come to to Paris Saint-Germain. He's, he's that kind of player where he doesn't need many chances. He's often be de described as a luxury player where he only contributes to goals. He doesn't do much off the ball. But I think in a posh system... I think that might be changing. I've not watched too much of Paris Saint-Germain, just being honest. But just in terms of the storyline and the type of player that Icardi was in Inter Milan and the type of player that he still is, I think this is primed for an Icardi headline. 
So just with his price point, he's definitely someone who I think will be good for this round. And then because he scored zero points in the group stage, I think not many people will select him. I mean, he's selected by 0% so far. He He's a massive, massive differential. I think it's worth keeping an eye out for PSG's game today. They are playing against Nice at 4pm. So that's obviously English time, GMT. So convert it to wherever you're listening from. Although by the time this goes out, the game would have already been played. So just go and look at the score. <laughs> but have a look, see who's playing, see who's been rested. Because it seems to be one in, one out for Pochettino at the minute. As one plays for an important game, they'll then get rested in a, a less important one. Nice are a good team, but I think obviously being sat at 13th in League R, you might decide to rest a few players for this one. Or maybe do what Bayern Munich do and you know give them a run out for 60 minutes and haul them off. So it's definitely worth having a look at what happened during this Nice game. And obviously, any more injuries could happen as well. Aaron, so let's go for who we think will win the first leg. And then, you know, we're going to have a... We'll, we'll punt now on who we think will actually qualify. Okay. So who do you think is going to win the first leg, most importantly? Well, I'm going to cop out and say that it's going to be a 2-2 uh, draw. And then I think Paris Saint-Germain will go through because they'll win the second leg. That's my prediction. Pretty hard to disagree with that. <laughs> uh, I do find that... Yeah, I think it'll be... A, oh, it's really annoying when we agree. That's exactly what I was going to say, and it's really annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to go for a score draw and then Paris Saint-Germain to go through because I just think it, by the time they get Neymar, Di Maria and Kalo Navas back and then they're playing at home, I, I think, yeah, they'll be the ones to go through. I'll go for two draws in Paris Saint-Germain to go through on away goals. Well, just to change it up a bit. Sounds good. We'll probably disagree on some of the other ones. Yeah, f- fingers crossed. <laughs> I mean, this next game's a, a real toughie. So same night, we've got RB Leipzig versus Liverpool. Um, again, two incredibly frenetic teams. So Leipzig, uh, Forsberg's injured. He's got a knee injury and an unknown return date. Justin Cliver, who was on none of our radars anyway, has an ankle injury, unknown return date. And Lema, the hero of last season, is still out with his ankle fracture. So it'd be nice to see him back whenever he can make it. In terms of their form, I've just looked at the league games. They are still changing it around. I thought they were quite fixed on a 3-4-2-1. They've since changed to a 3-1-4-2. They did play last night which isn't on any of my um, data that I've written down. So I'm just pulling up last night. I know that they won 2-0 against Osberg. What are you thinking with Leipzig, Aaron? So I think that with like they are like an inconsistent team in terms of their formation. I think that's just what happens with a young manager. But some of the players that are probably on our radars, they've changed around so much. For example, Angelino is now an attacking midfielder. <laughs> which is, I mean, he can play anywhere, yeah, can't he? Crazy. Um, but something that was quite hard with Leipzig, so uh, like if there are any Bundesliga enthusiasts listening, it was quite hard to get the assist data for Leipzig. It was easy for the other teams, but for some reason Leipzig, so I don't know whether the the actual people who 
do the stats for Leipzig hate them as well? Seem like the rest of Germany hates them. <laughs> um, so I could only get like the assist. Maybe as a German running it. <laughs> they, I'm not doing this. Um, but no, like, so Angelino, from what I've seen, in his last three games, no, his last four games playing as a central attacking midfielder has got three assists. I just want to jump in real quick. First of all, to correct myself, the one 2-1 against Osberg last night, not 2-0. But also, um, Google has been a bit naughty because he's not been playing central attack in midfield. I was very confused by it myself. I was like, this cannot be right. And he's just play, he's playing as a left winger. So they're playing, like I say, for the last four games, a 3-1-4-2. And he's been the one on the far left. It's It's been um, Almon Sabitza or Almon Hadara in the middle. Yeah, the that two. makes way more sense because... They've, yeah, it, like Google's been having Subitza play as a defensive midfielder. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, it's just all things are wrong. So thanks for confirming that. Like I, I had my suspicion, but I was just going off what Google said, which is dangerous to do, guys. Dangerous to do. Very dangerous. <laughs> Never Google symptoms. But either way, Angelino's gotten three assists. And so playing a lot more advanced, which is great news for attacking returns, especially with Liverpool not being solid. But in terms of finding like a goal scorer, so many different people have scored for them since New Year. Like Paulson has scored, like Paulson, Sabitzer, Auburn, who's the centre-back, Mukiele, Olmo and Nkunku have all scored two goals. And that's it. Nobody scored more than two goals. So it's quite, like it's nice in terms of a team that they share around the goals, but there's not probably one player that you're going to pinpoint to say, right, that is their biggest attacking threat. If I had to pick someone, I'd probably go Sabitza or Almo, um, just because they have more assists. But it's quite hard to pinpoint a player, so it, it's like playing blind darts. You've just got to choose one, and probably a you lot like of it will come down. You like playing blind darts, Aaron, don't you? <laughs> is that your favourite game, blind darts? It's what I've been doing during lockdown and uh, <laughs> also repairing the wall as well. And <laughs> But with Leipzig, it, 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 there's so many options. I think it's, it, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to your price points and how much emphasis you put on. But my biggest person to get in, if you don't have them already, what have you been doing is to get Angelino. Well, I'm here to throw the cat amongst the pigeons, Aaron. So, yeah, Angelino, 5.4 million, three assists in his last six games, playing from left wing, and obviously has the potential to get clean sheet. Whether that's going to happen against Liverpool with the way that Leipzig play, I think they play into Liverpool's hands. Mukiele has two goals in four games, or it'll be five games now, including last night. At 5 million, he's been moved all over the place. He's played... It's centre-back, and he's played at right wing, and he's played at right wing back. He is everywhere at the minute. Um, Sobosly signed for these. Obviously, we forgot that. But he's been injured, so he's definitely a wait and see. He's at a good price, though, but it's definitely a wait and, and see because he's not in the team yet. In terms of how he might fit into their system, I think he's going to take up the role that Timo Werner has left vacant in the side. 
So that could be really, really good for them. Angelino has signed, by the way, permanently on a on a four-year deal with Leipzig. And Upper Meccano was just signed for Bayern Munich. But that so won't happen until, until the summer. Upper Meccano has played every game for the last six games, excluding last night. But we believe that was A, because of the Bayern deal, just in terms of headspace, but also a rest for the Liverpool game. I wouldn't read too much into it. If you've got Upper Meccano and you really want him in your team, I wouldn't hide away from that. That being said, however, I think Orban or Holstenberg could be better. Orban especially, he's got two goals in his last five games and he's four and a half million. So if you're looking for a defender that isn't Angelino, I'd go for him at a million cheaper or 0.9 of a million cheaper. However, I think the real golden goose in this team is Nkunku. He's a midfielder on the game. He's 7.6 million. And in his last three games, he's got two goals and an assist playing up front in a two. So if if they play the formation that they've been playing against Liverpool, who obviously we'll talk about their defensive problems shortly, he's got such a good chance and he's going to be getting midfielder points. So he might get, if they do keep a clean sheet, an extra bonus. And obviously he gets an extra point for every goal scored and he's 7.6 million. So that'd be who I'm looking at. I've got him in my current draft. We may change, obviously, our drafts once we've been through all the teams. But at the minute in Kunku, being one of the earlier fixtures, so we'll know his availability. This is obviously one of the first games. So one thing to mention is that the Barcelona versus Paris Saint-Germain game and the Leipzig-Liverpool game, we will know the starting lineups before the deadline. So we don't really have to guess too much. I should have mentioned that obviously before the Paris Saint-Germain Barcelona chat, but we don't need to take any risks with them. We know who's going to play and where they are going to play for these games. It's just being aware really that Nkunku is an out of position midfielder if he's getting tossed up front. And as a playing as a forward is being their most prolific player. No, that's a really good shout. And obviously as well that this game isn't getting played in Germany either. So it's kind of like an away game for both teams. Oh, one thing I, sorry, one thing I haven't done with Leipzig. I just want to talk about their um, their previous league games, just real quick. They lost against Borussia Dortmund 3-1. They drew with Wolfsburg 2-2. They beat Union Berlin 1-0. They've lost against Mainz 3-2. They beat Leverkusen 1-0. They beat Schalke 3-0. And obviously they won last night 2-1 against Osberg second in the Bundesliga at the moment. So they are up and down, and I wouldn't expect a clean sheet from Angelino from his 5.4 million. So Liverpool, who are on their own downward spiral at the minute, they've obviously got a crazy, crazy injury list. The Fabinho's now been ruled out of this weekend's game against Leicester City. Jota is back in training, but I think he's not expected to actually play for another month. He might obviously be ready for the second leg if his recovery goes well. They do have the two new centre-backs who are on the game. So Kabak and Davies. Not saying there's any favouritism here from the UEFA game, you know, putting in those two signings when they kind of be bothered to put in a Barcelona right-back who's played every game for the last six or seven games. But never mind, UEFA. We know we'll love you. Not. 
they're both priced at four and a half million. So I wouldn't go for Davies. I don't think he's going to play. I think Kabak is the one that's likely to play, probably with Henderson at, at centre back. Trent and Robbo, Robbo six and a half million. Trent at six point seven. They are far too expensive for a team that kind of keep clean sheets. They will gobble up the ball recovery points. I'm really, really fascinated to watch Angelino versus Trent Alexander-Arnold. If Angelino does him up in this game, I think that's that could be Trent's England place gone. This is going to be really, really interesting because we all know that Trent isn't the most defensively-minded right-back in the world. He's not... We've said all along this podcast when people have said he's the best right-back in the world, even when he was playing great, that he's not the best right-back in the world. He's an incredibly talented, technically gifted player playing at right-back that when he bombs forward, puts a ball in, and Jordan Henderson then does the work at right-back. Obviously, Henderson can't do that at the minute, playing at centre-back. And I think Henderson's been playing left-sided centre-back. And Fabinho's obviously not been covering Trent amazingly well, but fair play to Fabinho and Henderson because they've done a really good job at centre-back. It's just not their position. So I'm very unsure with Liverpool. I've heard a lot of FPL noise about Mane looks better than Salah. I think Mane gets in some great positions, but his decision-making is very poor, and I don't think he's a great finisher. The header against Man City, I know it's a header and the more difficult to score, I'd still class it as a, an opportunity that should have been taken. To not hit the target is absolute scandal, so I don't care if it's off your head. But Mane's finishing isn't isn't the best in the world. It's better than Firmino's, but I think Salah, for as much as he drifts in and out of games, can sometimes be anonymous, is on penalties and is always capable of pulling something out of his arse. Like, he'll do nothing, and then suddenly the ball's at his feet, you blink and it's in the net, and you're not entirely sure how it's happened. And that's kind of what you want for 11.6 million. For me, Salah is the only option that I'd look at. That being said, we was said that in the group stages, and Trent, Andrew Robertson, and Joe Gomez, how our pants is down. But without Gomez there now... Kabak's, Kabak was playing for a terrible team in Germany, bottom of the league comfortably. So I think that might be a bit of a panic buy. I have, I'm not going to protest to say that I've seen him play loads of games of football. So I'm not going to slag him off and say, he's rubbish. But I'm also not filled with confidence either. What What are you making of Liverpool at the minute, Aaron? I think it's like one of them things where you are weakening two positions for the sake of one. Like, although the centre-back is extremely important I think Jordan Henderson needs to be playing in midfield and we've kind of seen that kind of loss of energy that is one of the biggest characteristics of this Liverpool team is the amount of energy the high press and if Jordan Henderson isn't up there kind of motivating people I think you can kind of see that loss of energy and and people have even pointed the finger at Thiago I think that's just a scapegoat like Tiago's class and Liverpool fans are excited, like way excited at the start of the season. Nothing's changed. Only the thing that's changed is that you're losing now. Uh, so I think that's just a scapegoat and you're blaming it on Tiago when the reality is, is that Jordan Henderson isn't in midfield and that's why you need him. So it's kind of weakening two positions for the sake of one. And 100%. I think now that they've got the centre backs and Fabinho's injured, Klopp just has to make the punt now that they're, they're losing too much ground in the league. 
to not play the centre backs. If it doesn't go well, you can say, oh, they've not played well, like they've not played with this group of players before. Like they're more relevant excuses than continuing a stick with centre mids in centre back. At first I thought, you know what, it's going to be great because they're going to press so high and everyone's going to be comfortable on the ball. And Jordan Henderson, like you're right in what you were saying, he's done absolutely terrific. And he's kind of brought that long range passing that Van Dyke was so good at, what made the centre-back so dangerous. But I think just to summarise, like to blame Thiago, I think is ludicrous. I think that you, you knew what you were getting. He is class. Um, I think you've got Wijnaldum, who doesn't want to be there anymore. He's looking at the exit. So that's not good for headspace. Firmino's not in good form. And the front three... Uh, like, if the front three don't click, the whole team, as a result, end up not clicking. And I think it's just... it's. I think it's just a dip. Like, everyone goes through it. Like, Man City went through it last year. Like, losing games to Norwich. And we were like whoa what's going on and even man city fans were like pep needs to go and we're like people just panicking <laughs> yeah absolutely outrageous anyone asking for Klopp to leave i mean he is starting to lose the plot a bit he's going full kevin keegan on us with some of his interviews he's turning in when he first signed i loved jürgen Klopp. i loved him at dortmund i loved his energy looked really friendly loved that big smile he's and again i think i mentioned this on one of the pods earlier on the season and I agree still, Liverpool fans will not care, but he is starting to alienate the neutrals with his conduct, his behaviour, how he's talking. And I think there's a lot of deflection going on in terms of, oh, well, he has a list of other managers that have been horrible to reporters. And it's like, yeah, and they were horrible. Like, it's not, oh, well, he's done it, so it's fine. It's still, you know, lose with a bit of grace. I think the, Liverpool's biggest issue is there's no pace with those de- that defensive pairing of Fabinho and Henderson, so they can't play high up the pitch. They have to sit deeper, and that means that they aren't playing to the front three strength. When they play higher up, Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk can cover the ground in behind quite comfortably, which means they can press higher, and the entire point of a high press is that the ball gets into your forwards and into a goal-scoring position much more quickly than having to go from the back. So it's just a lot of different things all all coming together that have caused this downfall. I think once Gomez and Van Dijk get back to a full bill of health, they'll all be absolutely fine and be great again, genuinely. So I don't think it's too much to worry for Liverpool fans. I just think once their players are back, will do great as long as Jurgen Klopp can keep his head and obviously condolences to him he's lost his mother recently that's horrendous and you know what maybe maybe I should show some more understanding that he's obviously gone through in it's his job he's having a bad time at work essentially and his mother's died and he's getting frustrated so yeah maybe we can all understand why he's actually being a little rude and maybe we should all show him some understanding as well that I wouldn't want to suffer fools if my mother had died. So, yeah, maybe we should all be a little bit nicer to Jürgen and then give him some time and he can be nicer to us. For this game, Aaron, 
same same thing. Who do you think is going to win the first leg and who do you think is going to go through? I think that Leipzig will win the first leg, but I think Liverpool will go through. I think that over the next few weeks, they're going to get there. They're, they're just going to come back and it'll be as if they've never left, in my opinion. I think that they've got a good game coming up in Leicester. I think Salah has a good potential to do really well because of the injury to James Justin. I know, meaning that they don't have their two main left back and Salah's up against them. So I think it's a great chance for Salah to get some confidence coming into the Leipzig game. Yeah, I, I just, I think that they need their centre-backs. And I think by the second leg, the centre-backs will be comfortable. And although they've lost three games in a row at Anfield, which is a sentence that is not said ever, <laughs> I, I, I think that they'll come back and they'll beat Leipzig in the second leg and they'll go through. I definitely think Leipzig will win the first game. Um, and then I think the second one will be a draw. So I think Leipzig will go through by the skin of their teeth. I, I, to be fair, this could be arguably the best game, genuinely, because neither team can defend, because Leipzig have got no interest in it, and Liverpool just don't have the capability of it with their insane amount of injuries. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun game either way. I just hope, I hope football's the winner for this one. But yeah, I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to go with Leipzig, personally. It's just, you don't know which Leipzig are going to turn up. That's the only issue. They're a total Jekyll and Hyde team. I'm obviously predicting because it's part of the format of this podcast that we're going to predict. But if I had the choice to not predict, that would be lovely as well. I think, obviously, in terms of fantasy assets, I just think Nkunku playing out of position against a weakened defence is a good a pick as anyone in midfield. So we'll move on to Sevilla versus Borussia Dortmund. Sevilla have a Campos injured with an ankle injury. We don't know how long he's out for. It is unknown. They've been in a great run of form. They did lose 2-0 to Atletico Madrid. But since then, they beat Leganes 1-0, Alavas 2-1, Cadiz 3-0, Valencia 3-0, Ibar 2-0, Almira 1-0, Itafe 3-0 and Barcelona 2-0. So they've been keeping clean sheets for fun since that Atletico Madrid defeat. They've had a fairly solid team, I'd say. They are fixed to a 4-3-3, which is really nice. Banu's been playing every game in goal. Navas has played most games at right back. Hero Jules Kunde has played every game at centre-back. He's fixed. He scored an absolute worldie against Barcelona. The other centre-backs have swapped. has been Gomez and Diego Carlos. That's been interesting. And then Acuna was their starting left-back, except for the last few games. So I'm not too sure what's gone on there. That might have been an injury that he's now came back from. But I think, obviously, if you're going to go for a Sofia defender, I just think Gojul Gunde. Mm-hmm. It, his price is absolutely ridiculous. 3.9 million. So many clean sheets. The only issue you've got is obviously the opponents at the plane in Dortmund who, again, throw all caution to the wind and just love to attack. The midfield did change slightly for the Barcelona game. They played a 4-2-3-1, essentially, instead of just the outright 4-3-3. But Rakitic has played five of the last seven games. 
Jordan's came into the side. He's played five of the last seven. Fernando sort of came out of the side since Jordan's came in. They've played together a couple of times. But uh, Goodelge, he's been playing a few games. So is it, we are a little unsure about what's going on other than Rakitic, really. I think if I was to bet my house on it, I'd go for Jordan, Fernando and Rakitic to be the midfield three in whatever form you want to look at it. Against Dortmund, I think that's most likely the midfield three, injuries permitting. And then um, Alejandro Gomez, since he's came to the club, is on the left where Campos would usually play. Yusuf Naziri's been up front and Suso has been on the right predominantly. So I think their team isn't too difficult to predict. Right back is probably going to be Navas. Centre-back's going to be Kunde and Carlos. The left back is unsure. I am really unsure about that. But then I think Rakitic, Fernando, Jordan with Gomez, Suso and Naziri up front. Gomez has obviously just been bought by Atalanta. He's been the bane of my bloody life on this game. I'm still unsure about him. He has got a goal since coming in, but I think N Naziri, because he is a forward at 8.5, I think N Naziri at 7.4 with five goals and he's earned a penalty as well for 7.4 million is a fantastic punt against Dortmund who struggled to defend. Suso with one goal and three assists in five games, 6.9 million. That is really good for midfield. I wouldn't really look at too many of those. Jordan's one goal, one assist and four, 6.4 million. Banu, five million if you're looking for a goalkeeper that's likely to play for a team that's been keeping clean sheets and you can't afford like an Oblak. What do you think? What are you thinking of Sevilla, Aaron? I'm loving their defence. Kunde has to be in there for me and he's one of the cheaper goalkeepers as well, Banu and... uh, they're just playing so well. And like I said before with Barcelona, that they're one of the best informed teams in Spain right now. And winning 2-0 was a disservice to, to Sevilla because they were so dominant. And with Dortmund's form being so all up in the air, I think that it's a really good... Like Sevilla are a really good team and they often come good this time of year, because if they were in the Europa League right now, all bets were off and you knew that Sevilla were going to win it. So they come good the second half of the season. And I think that they'll like, I think they'll win both games. And I think that the players that you mentioned are really good. Suso from his time at AC Milan, he loves to take shots from outside the box. So you've got the potential there for, potential extra points for outside the box. And the thing is as well, now that they've got Papu Gomez, you've got a right air foot and a left footed set piece taker in Suso and Gomez. And so Sevilla is just a really strong team right now. Yeah, I'm liking the look of them a lot. The fixtures are annoying because I'd love it if these were playing like PSG and not Dortmund, because what we've got here is a team that you can bank on defence playing against a team that you can bang on attack. In that, it's just, I'm looking at these opening fixtures and pulling my hair out because if the draw just gone a little differently, things would be so much more clear. With Dortmund, we'll move on to them. They're all over the place. 
They beat Wolfsburg 2-0. They beat Leipzig 3-1. Then they drew 1-1 with Mainz. They lost 2-1 against Leverkusen. They lost 4-2 against Mönchengladbach. They beat Augsburg 3-1. Then they lost 2-1 against Freiburg. I really don't know what to make of them at the moment. They have got Axel Witzel out with an Achilles injury. And since he's been injured, that's where their form has completely dropped. But even when they lose the score, Zagadou's out with a torn muscle. Berkey's causing all kinds of problems because he's been terrible. And then he got injured. Hits has came in and he's also been terrible. So, you know, is Berkey going to be fit? His shoulder injury has an unknown return date. So we're not too sure. But I just don't fancy either of them in, either of them in goal in as far as keeping a clean sheet. One thing I will say about Hits is he's super cheap. So again, he falls in line with the Sergio Rico plan, 4.1 million. If you're looking for a bench fodder sort of goalkeeper that might play, he's as good a punt as anyone. I don't think Sevilla will score loads against them. They're not that kind of team. I always feel like Sevilla have like a two-goal limit in games like this. So, you know, you might even get some save points, whoever plays. They've got problems recently at right back with Munya being injured. So defensively, I had Hummels in my team, but purely because of his, his ball recovery points, he's an absolute unit at the back. But they've resorted to a four at the back now. When he was gobbling up all those balls, that sounds disgusting. Um, when he was gobbling those balls they were playing a three at the back in which he was the central centre back now that they're playing four at the back I think he is now completely wasted as an FPA uh, as a UCL asset I wouldn't go there he's I think he's currently in my team and he'll be getting taken straight out because I don't fancy them for the clean sheet and I don't fancy him for his ball recovery points if you were wanting a Dortmund defender I think Guerrero is now the way to go. He's got two assists in his last six games. They do have Hoffenheim today at uh, half past two. So have a look at that for the result, the formation, who scored, etc., etc. I think for this team, what we all want are forwards. What do you make of the forwards and attacking midfielders, Aaron? So I don't trust Haaland. Like, he's not in any oh, of my drafts. You sacrilegious. <laughs> Like, I just... This is UCL blasphemy, Aaron. I know it is. And I know he's going to prove me wrong. But, like, when we go on to my draft, the, I, I firmly believe that the strikers I've got ahead of him are going to do better. And, like, just a, an observation on their form before I continue is, like, all of their home games, they've won, uh, except the 1-1 draw. Um, <laughs> Michael Owen quote. And um, however, their last three away games they've lost. So all the games that they've lost have been away games. I think that may, like puts a different twist on Dortmund's current form, especially because the first leg is severe away. So like I, I think they'll lose this game. They'll continue that form. But if they are going to turn it around and if I do want to get Haaland in, I'd prefer to get him in for the second leg where they actually have been decent at home. And so I think that just puts a, a different twist to it. But I really like, if I was to get a Dortmund player, I really like the look of Sancho, who has gotten four goals and four assists since New Year. And he's 9 million, I believe. Although he would be a premium midfielder, I think just because there's not really... He's 
There's not he's really 10, many premium. He's 10 million, Aaron. Oh, is he? Sorry. He's not, there's not really many premium midfielders kind of left in the game. It really goes like Liverpool, Man City. And then after that, it drops off really quickly because Bayern Munich's Bayern wingers. Bayern Munich, I think, have got a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. Yeah, so like Bayern Munich's wingers and Sancho are probably in the, like the next bracket below. And then after that, it's it it's it's really just kind of a mush. So I think if you were to pick one of either Liverpool or Man City's premium midfielders, and then out of that mush, you're looking at either a Bayern Munich winger or Sancho, really. And I, so I think at that price point and with that kind of form that he's in, and he's playing up front uh, in some of these games as well, I think he's probably the one I would lean towards first. I don't know how much Marco Royce is, but he, although he's not been scoring, he's been getting a few assists. Yeah, he's um, he's 8.4 million, three assists in his last six games. But he's the starting pen taker. If there is a penalty in the game and he's on the field, he's the one to take it. Then Sancho and then Haaland. Dortmund have missed every penalty that they've got this since New Year, since the restart. Uh, they've gotten three. Wow. So and all of them have been three separate. Well, who's takers. missed them? Yeah, Haaland, Royce, and Sancho didn't take uh, one. It was Brandt. Okay. Um. So Sancho mustn't have been. Wow. So that is very unfortunate. <laughs> so they're the Man City of of the Bundesliga for penalties. Then yeah, and don't trust lot, them. With them games, they could have won as well. Like Royce's one was against Mainz at home. That penalty could have won the game. And he missed it. So they're not having too much like good run with penalties. But just with that away form and home form, that really puts a twist on it for me. So for this first leg, I don't plan on bringing in Haaland. And if he proves me wrong, which he probably will, and then I'll bring him in for the second leg, depending on how my other strikers do. That's a fairly good idea, to be fair. Sancho, two goals, three assists in six games, 10 million. And Haaland does have four goals and one assist in six games. 11.1. You're brave, but I I like the logic. I do like the logic. And looking at it without Witzel, playing four at the back and against such an informed, severe team, I do really think they could struggle. One shout out is to uh, Mukoko, 4.3 million striker. Scored his second goal for Dortmund in a 2-1 win against Freiburg, I believe. Oh, sorry, no. He scored the the only goal in a 2-1 loss to Freiburg, sorry. And he's just becoming a bit of a cult hero at the minute. Youngest ever Champions League appearance maker, 4.3 million. If you are crazy or just love the thrill of the game and you want to bulk up your team elsewhere, go Mukoko. The only issue is that I'd say is forwards, although forwards are the position where I'm thinking, I wish I, had, I could have 10 of these. Having three is really annoying at the minute. Sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes it's like, oh, I want more. I want all the midfielders. I want all the defenders. For whatever reason, for these, for the round of 16, I want loads of forwards. So Aaron, I think you've shown what you think is going to happen anyway. You think Sevilla are going to win the first leg. Who do you think is going to go through overall? Uh, Sevilla. I'm going to go for Sevilla first leg. I'm going to go Dortmund second. I think if Witzel can come back from that Achilles injury, playing at home, Oh, but Dortmund are a bit like Liverpool where they need the fans, really. I'm going to go for a draw. 
for the second leg. So that's a severe to go through on this one. Bit of a shock, really. Especially when I've got three Dortmund players in my draft, so that's going to have to change. <laughs> the final final game of this podcast before we wrap things up on this one and move on to our second podcast is Porto versus Juventus. So Aaron, you can talk about the away team shortly, but let's crack on to Porto first of all. They've had some mixed form as well, particularly for their league. They're only second in their league, which is a big shock for Porto. I couldn't really find any injuries. They've drawn 1-1 to Benfica. They lost 2-1 against Sporting. They won 1-0 against Ferenc. 2-0 against uh, Gil Vicente. Beat uh, Rio Ave 2-0. Drew 0-0 with Belenenses. Drew 2-2 with Braga. And I believe the won 1-0 the other night. It was but a 1-1 draw. I did. All of my research. Was it a 1-1 in the end? I know they got well, down to 10 men. I yeah, it, it was in the 90 and 12th minute. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah, they're having a bit of a, a mixed time of things. It's going to be another interesting game, this one. They've rotated their keeper between Costa and uh, Marquezin quite a lot. So I do think Marquezin will be the one to play, but he's still not nailed on. I kind of don't want to talk too much about all these players. I don't think a lot of people are going to go for them. I, I really do just want to jump straight into just the players I think you should or shouldn't get. So first of all, Tarimi up front. He is six and a half million and he's got uh, four goals and two assists in his last six games. He's in phenomenal form, absolutely phenomenal form. So if you're looking for a legitimate budget striker, six and a half million and is actually playing and is actually scoring and getting assists. 100% go for this lad. He is seriously on my radar. Very, very seriously on my radar. Sort of between him and Naziri is my budget option up front. I need to see how the rest of my team works out. We've got Oliviera. He's only had three starts in his last six, but he is the penalty taker. So he's got a lot of penalties in the group stages. He's got one penalty goal and one assist in those three games. 6.7 6.7 million, that is punty. But if they get a pen, you're in the money. Diaz, only one goal, one assist in four games. 7.1 million midfielder. I know he's quite popular. I'd avoid, personally. Uh, Sanusi, 46 points so far in the game. He's the second highest scorer with Angelino in the entire game. Absolute madness. 5 million. So, if you want the left back feel free to go for Sanusi. I, I personally probably won't be, but I don't think Juventus are the most prolific team at the moment. If you think they're going to keep a clean sheet, this guy is gobbling up, obviously, ball recoveries. <laughs> Chancellor Mbemba, 38 points so far. He's 4.8, so if you can't quite afford the five, maybe go for Mbemba. But I think Tarimi, Oliveira, Sanusi are the three players. If you want to go Porto, if you don't like Juventus, whatever reason, they're the three to go for. Really good budget options. We've got a goal scorer, a penalty taker, and the second highest score. I can't believe that same amount of points as Angelino Sanusi. Unbelievable. What do you think? Their defence has been one of the biggest success stories of the group stage in terms of fantasy Champions League, to the point where their goalkeeper was one of the highest rising in price. Marchesin, he's 5.3 now. And a lot of people already had him in their team, so they're at a good advantage whether we're able to buy him for five million and have just kept kind of kept him so well played to to them um i think that 
their defenders will have a good chance of ball recoveries. Uh, Juventus on any day aren't the most clinical. And so they, they do have a opportunity for some ball recoveries. I think in terms of like if I was to bring in Porto players, I would definitely bring them in for this leg and not the second leg because Porto having the advantage of being at home. Um, although you'd obviously have a superstar in Ronaldo who is also returning home. So always loves going back to Portugal. But in terms of ball recovery points, this is probably the, the best time to get them in. And then you can always transfer them out for the second leg for another defender around that price point. So if I was to bring them in, definitely bring them in now. And their striker, if you are low on budget and you're wanting to get in as many premium midfielders as you can, he, he's the one I would go for over um, like Moise Kian, who I know a lot of people probably still have from the group stage and Braithwaite, etc. Uh, I think he's a good transfer where he's kind of around the same price as them players. So, and he's in form. And that's all you can really do at the end of the day for Champions League football is you look at who's in form because they're going to be the ones who are going to play in the team. They're not going to bother playing second string teams in the Champions League. So the informed players are going to play and then that gives them a stage to perform better. And I wouldn't argue against anyone who brings him in. Aaron, you're the Juventus man. Talk to us about them. Obviously, I think the main sort of questions here from laymen like myself is Morata or Ronaldo. I've seen that obviously Ronaldo's been the one excelling at the minute and Morata just seems desperate to try and assist him. Is Quadrado worth it in midfield? He seemed great in the groups. What's he like now? I've heard that there's been some issues maybe with him now passing to Ronaldo. Is it going to be Buffon or Chesney in goal? And what is the crack with their defence? Who's playing as a Chiellini, Benucci, Delict, Danilo? Is that, we, we need to go through this. Who, who are we picking, Aaron? Cool. So we'll start up front because that's the most exciting. Uh, Ronaldo is in the best form. He scored seven goals uh, since the restart. They, although Juventus have played quite a lot of games, just because of the Coppa Italia, kind of the same situation as Spain, where the cup games start in January. And you'll see in the next episode when we talk about some of the other Italian teams, that if you had an early exit, you play a lot less games, which kind of works out better in terms of form. They have played Inter Milan three times. Uh, so, like since the start of the year and they've kind of been the best indication of what type of a strong team Juventus like to play. But ever since they lost to Inter Milan back in January, they've been on a great run of form where they've only conceded once uh, since then. So they've got, they've got seven clean sheets in the last eight games that, um, and the only goal that they conceded was against Inter Milan in the cup. So right now their defense is pretty solid. Chesney has been in goal. So that answers that question. Buffon has been the cup goalkeeper. Uh, the two center backs, Chiellini, now that he has a run of games, 
is looking back to his best self. And obviously with his physicality, he needs somebody to lay the ball off to because he's not the best with the ball at his feet. And so he'll pass the ball off to Bonucci, who can be played as a whatever position he wants at times. But in terms of Quadrado, it's kind of been weird because Alexandro returned from injury and then got COVID. And so he's only just starting to come back into the side. But because of that, Danilo, who was the left back, is starting to play right back now where Quadrado was playing. And now they're trying to figure out who is better as a right back, Danilo or Quadrado. And there's even been times when Danilo and Quadrado have played on the right. Juventus have settled on a 4-4-2 and with Ronaldo or Morata or Ronaldo and Kulisevsky playing up front. So Ronaldo's definitely the safer option and he's in form in terms of scoring. He's turning into a lot more of a clinical striker. I mean, he was always clinical. You can't say that he hasn't with his goal tally. But he only needed one shot against Roma to score. And after that, he was kind of just there as a kind of a decoy. He He's starting to get to that point where you can see that the age is starting to catch up with him. And it's quite sad because you just want him to play forever. But if depending on his motivation, you'll see him talking to Murata Kulisevsky. You'll see them. You'll see them in communication throughout the game. If he's not feeling up to it, what he does is bring defenders out to the left wing so that he leaves a massive gap in the middle and it helps the other striker or the one of the other midfielders like Chiesa has benefited massively when Ronaldo has not been on it because he plays on the right side. So Chiesa has scored five goals and has two assists since uh, coming back from the restart. And so in terms of Morata, though, he wasn't even first choice. He only came into the side when Dabala was injured. And like what you were saying, Morata just seems set on trying to get assists for some reason. And so, and I think a lot of it does come to that communication within the first opening minutes of the game where you'll see them talking quite a lot like in between stoppages of play. And I think that is Ronaldo starting to concede that he might not be up for challenging against centre-backs all day. So, and that's just him looking after his body and not wanting to get injured. So Chiesa uh, is definitely one who I would pay attention to and potentially McKenny. McKenny has been quite good as well, but sometimes he plays out on the right and he's no longer a midfielder, like a centre midfielder. I hope that answered your questions. I think I've covered every position. Yeah, I think so. So, well, I mean, I think we should just get right down into the bones of it. You obviously watch Ventus quite a bit. What do you think the score is going to be for this first? Not necessarily the score. Who do you think is going to win? Can we expect clean sheets from either side? Do you think it's going to be a nil-nil? Who do you think is going to go through overall? What, like, help us out here, Aaron. Cool. So, Pirlo especially against Barcelona, he kind of we kind of saw his vision. He wants to be a very passing pass heavy team. However, he says that he doesn't have the personnel right now to play like that. So since that match, which I think is a lot probably the last time that a lot of people have watched Juventus, 
he's now getting compared to Allegri in terms of the way that he plays. So there's not going to be many blowout of the water results. Not like the Barcelona. Definitely, he hasn't played like that since, which is a shame because if he does play like that, I think they're one of the best teams to win the Champions League because they played so well. But in terms of being compared to Allegri, if we think back a couple seasons, it's all just about getting the job done. So I think it's going to be very low scoring. I think in either a 1-0 Juventus win, 1-1, 1-0 Porto, I can't see either team scoring more than two goals. I'm going to go with Juventus to win just because of their run of form. But it's not going to be high scoring. And so I'm going to go with like the probability that Ronaldo will probably score, being that it's Champions League in his competition. But it's hard. Yeah. You're not going to get a high ceiling. I think Juventus is full of safe flaws. In terms of defenders as well, they're too they're very pricey. Like Chiellini, 5.4. If he was five, I, he probably would have went straight into my team. And you don't know who's going to play right back. And you don't know who, who's going to play left back. But uh, Chesney, Chiellini, Bonucci are going to be the back, like the back spine. Yeah. I think I'm going to go for Bonucci. You're going to go Bonucci? I think so, yeah. I've got some money from Hummels to spend somewhere. So I think it's it's tough because obviously we've got Porto striker in such great form, but the team in general isn't in great form and they haven't played against any great opponents recently. And Juventus have, and they've been keeping clean sheets. So it's... uh, I think it's again gonna be a fascinating game, but maybe not for the um for the people who like entertainment from goals. I think it's gonna be an incredibly tactical game, this one. I think it's gonna require some concentration to get through, but could be enjoyable if you if you like watching a, a tactical performance. I I don't really know what to go for. I think it's probably gonna be what my gut was telling me it's going to be 1-1 in Porto and then probably 2-0 in Turin to Juventus so i'll go i'll go for a i'll go for a draw for the first game and Juventus to qualify overall that's what i'm going to go with so that brings an end to this podcast obviously with how long this one's been you can imagine why we've had to split it into two we'll be releasing both in the same day so once you finish with this one, hopefully the next one will be up for you to listen to as long as you get it listened to before the deadline on Tuesday. Gratefully for four of these teams, we will know exactly the starting lineups before they come out. So thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, like I mentioned earlier, UCL Fantasy Pod. We are on YouTube and Spotify. Just search for the main event Champions League Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you so much for all the support, by the way, that we have been receiving on Twitter. It's been absolutely amazing. And hopefully you will enjoy our content for the remainder of this season. So we will see you for the second part of this podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye now.